0: Flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands.
1: Uh, good morning. Um, my name is Kyle. If I haven't a chance to meet you or a visitor, I'm one of the elders here at Grace. This will be my ninth sermon that I've preached from the Psalms, and this is a book of the Bible that I've turned to time and time again when I've struggled, struggled to make the connection between what I, I know is true in my mind um, and what I feel is true in my heart. And there's too often, and maybe you're the same, there's too often when I go through struggles or trials or sinfulness where my head knows what's true and right. In God's word, but my emotions have a hard time syncing up with what I know is true in my head. And so God has given us the bo- a book called the Psalms that deals with our emotions. And emotions can be used for great good or they can be used for great evil. And what the Psalms are after is to help you see that proper God exalting feelings find their roots in powerful God revealed Truths, proper God-exalting feelings, find their roots in powerful God-revealed truths. That's what the Psalms are after. When when your mind and your heart are synced together in the truth of God's word, it becomes a powerful motivation for affectionately pursuing after God in obedience. Sustained, ever-increasing, affectionate obedience towards God doesn't come from a sense. I'm just doing what you're supposed to do. God's told me to do this, so I'm just going to do it. Sustained, intense, ever, ever increasing obedience comes from emotions of love and joy and hope in God. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So our aim in our life should be nothing less than finding pleasure in knowing and in pleasure in obeying God. And that's what the Psalms are after in helping you fight the fight of faith. So as we go through Psalm 90 this morning, let's stop first and pray and ask God to sync up what we know is true in our heads with what we ought to be feeling in our hearts. Father God, thank you for the book of Psalms. Thank you for the whole counsel of your word, which is sufficient for all of life and godliness that you have given us different genres, different books written by different humans in different times and places and settings, that we can know who you are, that we can live this life in obedience to you, but also live it with a heart of pleasure and desiring you above all else. So would you please do that in our hearts this morning? Please use me simply as the mouthpiece of your powerful word in my heart, first and foremost, and in the hearts of people here this morning, in the hearts of those watching online, we ask this in the only name that we can ask, the great and awesome name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so news flash for you this morning, uh, you're going to die. At some point, that 10-ounce muscle that's beating right now inside of your chest beats about 100,000 times a day carries life-giving blood to all the part different parts of your body is going to stop working. People are going to come to your funeral, gonna be buried into the ground, you're gonna to return to the dust that God created the first man uh, man from. Now, of course, that's not really a news flash for you. You came here probably knowing in your head that you're going to die at some point in your life, but it's not something we tend to think about very often either We don't want to think about it because it's uncomfortable or we're scared to think about it or just not something that's in our head. However, that's what this Psalm of Moses does. It is meant to help you consider and think about death. It's not necessarily pleasant, but it is necessary. And for those who seriously, those who are seriously willing to consider Psalm 90, the payoff is pleasantness because it's going to carry you into an awareness of the eternity of God and our need for him. So with that, what we're going to do is go through these 17 verses. But beforehand, just to set the, the stage, this is this uh, chapter, Psalm 90, is the first uh, psalm in Book 4 of the Psalms. So all 150 psalms uh, find their place in five different books within the Book of Psalms. And Psalm 90 begins where book three ended. And book three is very dark. It raises many difficult questions in those Psalms. If you've, questions like, if you've suffered trials and you're wondering, where is God in the midst of these trials? Book three in the Psalms brings up questions like, doesn't God understand how frail we as humans are? Is God true to his justice and his unfailing love? Is God still just when he doesn't Give punishment and vengeance to those who do evil in this life. So that's that's book Psalm, it, or that's uh, book three of the Psalms. It's bleak, it's dark. It raises lots of questions about God. And then here comes Psalm ninety, the beginning of book four. And Psalm ninety through about Psalm one hundred and six are unpacking the answers to those questions. So Psalm ninety was written by Moses as as an expression of grief or sorrow over something bad that has happened. So have this picture in your mind over the next 30 to 40 minutes, and that is Numbers 14, where Israel's on the brink of entering the promised land that God was to give to them. And they sent out the spies into Canaan, into the promised land, to bring back a report of what type of enemy that they were up against in order to come into the promised land. And the spies bring back this report, and it sends reverberations of fear across the nation of Israel, saying, these people are have too many muscles, the walls are too thick, we can't go into this land that God has given us. And the congregation responds with this loud crying and complaining against Moses because they said, God's led us out of the safety of Egypt into this desert to die. So in that moment, in that doubting of God's faithfulness, God promised that all those who grumbled and complained and doubted his goodness were not going to enter into the promised land. And so that's the backdrop that you ought to think about Psalm 90 in. The psalm deals with the greatness of God, the brevity of our life, the seriousness of God's wrath, and what we are to do with all these heavy realities. So let's look at verses 1 through 6, which deals with God and his relationship to time. Verse one says, "Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations." This this is this truth is the basis of the rest of the prayer of Psalm 90. If God can't be the place that we go to as our dwelling, if we can't ask Him for anything else, for Moses, if God was the only uh, a judge to Israel, He couldn't ask them to be their dwelling place. But God is, is a judge, but He's also more than a judge to His people. He's their dwelling place. Moses, in this prayer, is giving praise to the creator and the ruler of the universe. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. We see that God is to be the place that his children live, to see his glory and his praise and his greatness. So you all came from your houses probably this morning, and your home isn't a place that you spend maybe one day a weekend. It's the place that you go back to time and time again. It's where you dwell. It's where you live So it is with God. Our thoughts and our feelings and our actions ought to be in response to a life that is dwelling in the creator and the ruler of the universe. But Israel here is standing on the brink of the Jordan River, looking at this danger that is in front of them. And they chose to dwell in their own fears and dwell in their worries instead of dwelling in God. Look at verse 2. They didn't remember this truth, that before the mountains were brought forth, Wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So these strong men are inhabiting the land of Canaan. There's these thick walls that they have to overcome. The cities fortified with wood and stone or whatever else is standing in their way. And those very things were formed out of nothing by the God of Israel. So God, God crafted and sculpted the entirety of Canaan. He made them. He gave them the power that they had. God existed before Canaan was ever there. Canaan had a beginning. Israel had a beginning. But God has no beginning and he has no end. And Man, we cannot wrap our heads fully this morning around the reality that God had no beginning and he will have no end. Because we are so limited by our constraints of beginnings and endings in this world. So God could control the outcome of a battle of just a, a few strong men with big walls. But Israel's heart wasn't dwelling in that. They weren't dwelling in the greatness of God. They feared for their lives at the hands of the Canaanites, when in reality, in the their end of their lives was already determined by God. It wasn't determined by their enemies. It was determined by God. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust. Return. You say, return, O children of man. So while God has no beginning, and no end. Our bodies have a beginning and they will have an end. We will die and return to the dust of the earth, which is a result of God placing a curse on the world that we see in Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you are taken for you are as dust and to dust you shall return. So it's God that declares the beginning and it's God that declares the ending of our lives. When you die, it will be because God declared it. So your heart's going to give out, cancer is going to come, car crash is going to happen, something is going to cause you to die. But none of this will be a surprise to God. And maybe even some in this room, we will not live out to see the end of 2021. So We all sit here this morning not knowing when our time will end but God alone is the holder of that knowledge and he's not only the holder of that knowledge he's the he will declare the decisive act by which your life ends we know this from 1 Samuel 26 the lord kills and the lord brings to life as a as a cop um i've seen so many situations where death has come suddenly and unexpectedly Where we go to i go to Bendo call where the, a car stri- struck a bicyclist, or a 53-year-old that's perfectly hel- healthy drops dead in the morning of a heart attack, or the river claims the swimmer. Death comes expectedly um, to so many people, but it also comes expectedly to the 93-year-old lady that breathes her last as her families gathered around her bedside. Death comes at the hand and the command of a God who has no beginning and no end. So then Moses prays to God for, or Moses declares in verses four through six that God is outside of these, this constraint of time that we are in. Look at verse four through six. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a the flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning in the morning it flourishes and is renewed and in the evening it fades and withers so time is of zero consequence to god it is to us we cannot escape it time marks when we're born time marks the rhythms of our lives that's why we're here on a sunday morning cuz sundays every week are the time that we gather together to worship god and time's going to mark when you die to God though, a thousand years is like a day. So I looked this up. What was going on a thousand years ago? One thousand years ago, Maham, Mahmud of Gandhi began a series of raids into Northern India. Did you know that? Uh, Norsemen set up settlements in North America for the first time. Giant volcanoes erupted along the Chinese Korean border. Robert of France invaded the Duchy of Burgundy. So to God, I mean, that was yesterday. That was a thousand years ago. Those people are all dust. Peoples and nations and kingdoms come and go. Kingdoms come, kingdoms topple. Empires fall. America's going to fall in line with the rest of the other great nations that have come and gone. And to God, this is like yesterday's news. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is outside of the ticking seconds of a clock. To God, a thousand years is like a flood that sweeps away everything in its path. So no kingdom remains, no person remains. To God, a thousand years, it's like a dream. Comes and goes over in a moment. To God, a thousand years is like grass. So where I live, I try to grow grass on my lawn. The soil's really sandy. So as soon as this week comes with the, the sun and the heat, my grass turns from green to just crispy brown. And it drives me crazy. So I want it to be green and lush, but I suppose that's a picture for me, and I step outside my front door, and I look at my burned-up grass, I'm like, well, there's, that's a picture of my life. I'm here for a little bit, and then I'm <laughs> burned up. Or that burned-up grass is a picture of the Roman Empire, or Alexander the Great, even though he conquered the whole world in his time. He sprouted up for a little while, glistened, and then boom, he's brown, and he fades away, but God remains. So like Israel, we forget to dwell and rest and take refuge in the truth that God controls all his creation, and he controls the time that governs it. So God and time. Now we're going to look at verses 7 through 11, God and anger. So Moses moves into another heavy truth, the truth that God's display of anger through the curse of death It's an ever present reality in the life that we live. Death exists because of sin and because of rebellion against God. Look at verses seven through 10. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, and they are soon gone. We fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So we cannot fully comprehend the fierceness of God's wrath. But we would do well this morning to spend some time considering it. The fury of God's wrath also reveals the greater wonder and favor of his mercies. The more you can understand the fierceness of God's judgment and his wrath on sin, the more you're going to be able to savor and enjoy and be thankful for his mercy upon your life. So we're going to spend some moments here considering God's fury. And we see a picture. So what is God's fury? And we see a picture of it, of his judgment and his wrath on vivid display on the, the plagues against Egypt. And Psalm 78 recounts this, where it goes through all the plagues that God brought on Egypt. God, uh, God's judgment turned rivers into blood. God's judgment caused Egypt to experience swarms of biting insects. God's judgment brought grasshoppers and hail that destroyed all of Egypt's food. And all these plagues culminated with the death of every firstborn son in the land of Egypt. Our God is a consuming fire. His wrath and his fury and his judgment take second place to nothing and to no one. This is heavy to think about, especially because we tend in a society that's so affluent to enjoy comfort and distance away from the things of judgment and death. We, we live in a society where we have modern medicine and the 911 system and ambulances we have smooth roads that more or less that brought you here this morning in comfortable cars uh that carry you from one point to another in ease we have air conditioning that cools us off in the summer and furnaces that keep us warm in the winter we have food in a fridge um i have a fan in my bedroom to keep me cool at night and a little white noise machine to keep me sleeping so we have all these things in our life that are good things that bring comfort to us, but it also can cause us to not consider the brevity of our life and the wrath of God on sin. The lull of comfort will forget, it, will cause us to forget that our time in life is short. So we're here for maybe seven or eight decades. That's it, and that's going to go quick. Kids, this morning. You probably think your life is moving really, really slow. I know I did when I was a teenager. Like, oh, when am I going to be 16 and get my driver's license at 18 and graduate? Tell you what, now that I'm 38 years old, life moves very, very quickly. The fact that we will die is meant to be, the fact that you will die is meant to be a visible reminder of God's judgment that he put on the world when sin entered it through Adam and Eve. It is the display of his wrath. And if this seems perplexing or if this seems cruel to you on the part of God, your response ought to be to pray for God to reveal to you how great our sin, your sin is in his eyes. Our sins are on full display. There is nothing that is hidden from God. Our darkest and our dirtiest secrets are fully known to him and nothing escapes the light of his presence. So you would do well. To consider Psalm ninety not just this morning but in your life, to consider death and judgment of God on our sin don 't please don't brush this off. Now is the time before death comes to consider and to ponder the weightiness and the seriousness of it so that 's God in anger, and finally, in verses twelve through seventeen God in life the the question is what are we what ought we to do with these heavy realities? What should be our conclusion? If Moses stopped at verse 11, my response would be, I'm walking away depressed. I'm walking away moping. I'm walking away heavy under the reality of sin and God's wrath and judgment. But thankfully, we have verses 12 through 17. God inspired Moses to write this conclusion. And Moses prays for God to do five things in light of what he has just written. So this is for us. This is this is the application. This is what you can do in the light of the reality of God and time, and that you're going to die, and God in anger and his judgment on our sin. Five things to pray for. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Pray, number one, pray for an awareness of the brevity of life that leads to a heart of wisdom. Pray for an awareness of the brevity of life that leads to a heart of wisdom. The way that you're taught something is by spending time learning it and mastering it. Learning involves intentional spending of your time on a subject. So Moses here is is demonstrating the first step of how we should respond. Spend time thinking and meditating over Psalm 90 in prayer. Don't quickly move to the rest of the busyness of your life this week, but think about death and wrath and judgment. Let your... Let your prayer be Psalm 39.4. Oh, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. To get a heart of wisdom is to have your thinking and your emotions and your actions rightly respond to the truth of this psalm. It is to pray, oh God, you are from everlasting to everlasting and I want my dwelling place to be with you. I am but dust and burned out grass. God, let me know the brevity of my days. Let me grasp the seriousness of your wrath and judgment, judgment on sin. Let me fear you and not be lulled into the snooze button of things that are around me that seek to compete for my affections that should be fixed on you. That is what we should be praying. The seriousness of God's wrath calls for a serious pursuit of wisdom in the short life that he's given us. Your heart Your spiritual heart is the seat or the center of your affections. We ask God to help us consider the shortness of our lives that we may know how to have a right affection in doing what God has called us to do in obedience. Our life is short, so let's live it fully for God, Grace Church. A heart of wisdom is more satisfying than a bank account that's flush with cash. A heart full of wisdom is more fulfilling than a nice house. A heart full of wisdom is more lasting than your retirement account. A heart full of wisdom is more safe than living in a nice and quiet neighborhood. So the question is, what are you pursuing most? Is it wisdom or is it wealth? Is it wisdom or is it comfort? Where does your heart dwell as you go throughout your week? What does it ponder? What does it desire? May we as a church, be a people here whose lives continue to be different and distinct from the world because we number our days and ask God to give us a heart of wisdom. May that be what dominates our thinking and our feeling in this life that is so short. May we live with a holy ambition. So that's number one, the first prayer that Moses offers to God. And the second one is verse 13, return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. So we are to pray for God's compassion and for his presence. Moses is pleading to God to turn back with compassion towards his people, despite their sin, despite their doubting of God being able to overcome their enemies. They wanted that Israel wanted to return to the slavery of Egypt because of this appearance of safety and security that it offered in comparison to the dangers of what lay ahead of them in Canaan. They did the opposite of verse 12. So they numbered their days. They looked at what was before them and what was behind them and said, why did we leave Egypt and follow Moses into the wilderness to die? As a result, Israel experienced God pulling back on his presence and his work among them. So that is a warning for us too this morning. It's a warning for us as Christians who are trusting in Christ and his work on the cross. And it's a warning to the unbelievers to run to the cross for the first time in repentance and believing on Jesus to have new life in him. Do not dwell in your sin. Dwell in the cross. Dwell in the presence of God. This is what it means to number our days to gain a heart of wisdom. Number three, verses 14 and 15. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many days as we have seen evil. So the third thing Moses prays is for a satisfying experience of God's steadfast love that leads to rejoicing and gladness in affliction. A satisfying experience of God's steadfast love that leads to rejoicing and gladness even in affliction. So despite the heavy things that, that Moses has written, his response is not despair. It is filled with hope in these last few verses, and the weightiness of the of verses 2 through 13 leads to great hope that we can take. The people of Israel that doubted God's ability to overcome their enemies were punished severely. They did not enter into the promised land. They were told that they would die in the wilderness but the people who did trust in God's promises, like the spy Caleb, who came back and, off and said, yeah, this is going to be hard to do, but God is with us. Let's go take the land that he's promised. He also endured the affliction and trials because of Israel's doubting God's promise. His entrance, Caleb, that is entrance into the promised land, was delayed because of the rest of Israel's doubting of God. So there's two ways that we experience affliction and evil because of In this life, it's either because of sin we've outrightly committed, such as Israel did, that is, doubting God's promises, or we can experience affliction and evil because of others' sin, as Caleb did. We will experience both in this life. We can experience affliction and evil from our own sins or from the sins of others. And how does Moses respond when God deals out this severe punishment? To Israel for their sin? What would you do if God gave you a severe punishment because of sin? Would you pull away from God's presence? Would you either be depressed, or would you feel like you're not worthy to come before God, or would you get angry at God for his judgment? What, is, what would your response be if you were Israel? Well, Moses, as their leader, didn't pull away from God. Rather, he pushed into God's presence. He asks God to satisfy them and causes them to, and asks God, cause us to rejoice and be glad in you. The word, uh, mourning in verse 14 satisfies in the morning. Their steadfast love means renewed joy after a time of affliction. So whether we are receiving discipline from God for sin or whether we are simply experiencing the painful effects of living in an earth that's cursed with sin, Do not fall into the trap of moving away from God in these times of affliction, moving away from him in prayer, moving away from his word, moving away from worshiping him. Those are the times specifically that we ought to press in and ask for God to do a work in our hearts so we have right emotions. We have right affections. That's what Moses is asking God. God, please make us feel rightly about what you about you about who you are in the midst of these hard times. Grace church God's word isn't merely academic reading, it's not merely scholarly thinking, it's not merely for theological writing. It is all that. But it is more than that. God's word is boots on the ground, real-world soul sustaining, life-giving, joy producing air that you are meant to breathe. And I preaching this sermon feeling so convicted of my heart and failing to do this time and time again. And, and my wife or the elders or people in my GG can testify that so many times that I failed at living out these verses, verses 14 and 15. However, I want to keep fighting for it. When we fail, let's keep fighting to see the gladness, or let's, let's keep fighting to feel the gladness in the presence of God and to see his truth despite the evil and affliction around us. And then when it does happen and we taste that air, it is sweet air to breathe. Let's not lose heart. Whether we sin or whether we experience the effects of sin from other people, we can hope in God. The darkness is not the last chapter. The light is. Number four, look at verse 16, the fourth prayer that Moses gives to God. Let your work... Be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. So our fourth prayer is pray for the ability to see God's glorious power at work in your life and in the world around you as his servant. Pray for the ability to see God's glorious power on display in your work and in your life, the world around you as the servant of God. God's providence, God's goodness is always at work in this world. The good things that He's causing to happen through His sovereign acts are there. Pray that God would give you the spiritual eyes to be able to see them in their glory, in their glorious power. Power. Have you ever um, been on vacation, or you specifically driven somewhere to an overlook, or driven up a mountain hoping for a breathtaking view? Go to the ocean because you you want to see the seascape, or you go to the top of the skyscraper to see. New York City skyline. You go to these places to be awed by what you can see. But then there's times you get there and you can't see it because either there's fog or there's clouds that block your ability to see what you wanted to see. The same is true with God's glorious power. The the breathtaking view is always there. God is always doing something through his providence, but at times, because of affliction and evil, The fog sets in and it's hard for us to see what he's doing. So so what do we do in those moments? We go back time and time again, praying for God to sweep away the fog that we may have a heart of wisdom to see what he's doing. God is always at work in the hearts of his children in these short lives that we live. The evils and affliction that I've seen as a cop make me long for the days of justice. When God will settle all accounts, no unjust act will go unpunished at the judgment seat of God. Either every act of domestic violence or every act of rape or every act of praying on the weak will either find its justice at the cross or justice in hell. And I pray that as God's servant of limited justice in this life, that I have eyes to see his ultimate and perfect justice that will be rendered out eternally. So the question for you is, where do you find your heart seeing only the visible and temporary situations around you that seem so bleak and so hopeless or so fearful? As you go throughout your day, do you stop to consider that you're God's servant? Your life is meant to glorify him through glad service. So pray for verse 16. To happen in your life, keep coming back to the overlook again and again, and pray for God to lift the fog that you might see the glorious power at work in your life. And finally, verse 17, the last, the fifth way, Moses prays, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So those who see themselves as glad servants of God turn away from their sin and they turn towards the work that God has given them to do in this life. So short lives don't mean that we coast. Short lives don't mean that we soak up as much as we can get for ourselves. In the economy of God, short lives are meant to help us plead with God that he would bless the work that he has given us to do, that he would make it prosperous and beautiful, helpful to other people, that God would get the glory and that we would get the joy in being his glad servants. So tomorrow is a new week. It's a Monday. For many adults here, you're going to go back to work. Parents, you're going to have another week of raising your kids in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. At times, work can be very hard and painful, but it is good. For you kids, it's another week of playing with friends or doing the chores that your parents have given you to do, or be part of a sports team, Single people, it's another week of waiting, of walking in the good work that God has given you to do. There will be good works for us to do this week as servants of God, whether it's washing dishes or mowing grass or closing business deals, criminals to be arrested, or neighbors that you are to love, or people to pray for, or people to pray with, or missionary newsletters to read over and pray for. Places to drive to, doctor's visits to be had. It's going to be decisions to be made. And in all of this, as you go in and out of these works throughout your week, through these deeds and these actions, pray, verse 17, pray for God's kindness and his favor and his beauty to be on the work that you are doing. Whether you feel like it's significant or you feel like it's meaningless, we can do all to the glory of God, everything. Israel wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt as they stood before this daunting work of conquering Canaan, and they failed to see themselves as servants of God, and they wanted to go back to being the servants of Egypt. They wanted to go back to help build some earthly kingdom for another people rather than building up their own nation through the covenant that God had given to Abraham. God had good work for them to do in the promised land, but they failed to pursue the heart Verse 17, God had given them a hard and dangerous and risky work to do. That was certainly the case for them, but it was meant for them to do it in a way that was meant to glorify God and to give them great gladness and joy in their hearts. So Grace Church, as God's redeemed people, the work that we are given to do in this life is good work. We toil in the midst of evil and affliction, but we can have deep and genuine And glad affection in the work that we are to do as we pray for God's favor to be upon it. Whatever our deeds, whatever deeds you have to do this week, pray Psalm 90 verse 17 as you go throughout the day. When you're driving into work or whether you're logging into work uh, remotely, pray for God to show his favor upon you and make firm the work of your hand. Or as you go to a doctor's visit and face the reality that your body's getting sick or it's just getting old, Pray for God's favor to be upon you and to establish the work of your hands. Maybe God's going to grant you healing or maybe he's going to grant you trust in him more and more as you face death. Grace Church, Psalm 90 is not meant for you to merely agree with it in your head. Psalm 90 is after your affections. It's after God exalting feelings that find their roots in powerful God revealed truth. So when those two are synced together it becomes the powerful motivation for loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. You are meant to live you're meant to feel the weightiness of Psalm 90 and the goodness of Psalm 90 and you're not meant to leave here unchanged this morning. So all I all I've said up until this point leaves us with one more question to ask. And the question is, why? Why in the world can we become before God, as Moses did in Psalm 90, despite our sin, and pray these five things? On what grounds can we have the audacity to ask God to bless our work and cause our hearts to be glad when we've sinned against him and deserve his wrath and judgment? Israel deserved nothing good from God. Yet here was Moses asking God for favor. Why should God have given it to him? And why should God give it to us? Well, the apostle Peter gives us the answer and gives us even more clarity than Israel had at the time of Psalm 90. And it is the reason that we can ask for God's favor and we can hope in him. And it's from 2 Peter 3.8, where Peter cites Psalm 90 and says, again, this is Second Peter 3, eight. but do not overlook this one fact. So don't forget this one fact. Don't overlook it. Beloved, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So Peter is using Psalm 94 that to show that God is not slow to fulfill his promises in his return. He is coming back and he is not slow. Rather, he is patient and his desire is that not one person should perish in hell, but that all would come to repentance of sin. And trust in him. So, in the time of Psalm 90, Jesus was standing outside of time as Israel stood on the edge of Canaan. Yet, at the right time, Jesus entered into time and took on human form. Jesus lived within the constraints of days and weeks and months, and that time led up to the time in which he would be pierced for our transgressions and he would be crushed for our iniquities. What Jesus did was took on the full weight of the fierceness and harshness of God's wrath, that we may experience God's forgiveness and mercy and not his wrath and his punishment. So the offer is here for you this morning. Have you received it? Have you received the gift of eternal life and repented of your sin and put your hope in Christ? If you haven't Let Psalm 90 and 2 Peter 3 awaken your heart to new life in Christ. The offer is to dwell with Jesus for eternity after this short 70 or 80 years of life here. Grace Church, because of Jesus' death for our sins, because of Jesus' death for Moses and Israel and Peter and us, we can come into the presence of God and we can plead these five things that we see in Psalm 90. So would you plead with God for them? And may God be our dwelling place in this brief life before we see our Savior face-to-face for all eternity.